This week, we're finishing up a two-week series on family. There's nothing more important as a father than that my kids follow the Lord and know him like I do. There's nothing better in my life than God and Jesus. And so I want my kids to know him and love him as well. And so we're calling this sermon series for our family to find you because we're talking about things that we can do for our families to find him. And ultimately, each person's choice comes down to between them and the Lord. But the Bible gives us the example and instruction to be able to do everything in our capacity to bless our families that they may follow the Lord. And so we're going to be reading from 1 Samuel chapter 2 today. If you have your Bible, you can open it with me to 1 Samuel chapter 2. And as you're turning there, let's just talk about again what we talked about last week. Uh, we started the story of a woman named Hannah. And Hannah has a husband who has brought pain and sin into their family by not following the Lord. He has taken a second wife. He's not understood God's plan for marriage. And because of that, Hannah has a rival and an enemy in her own home who irritates her and provokes her because Hannah has no children. And children are a blessing, but ultimate fulfillment is to be found in Christ. However, the blessing of children can become an idol, and it definitely was an idol in their culture. And so Hannah's rival wife teases her, mocks her, because she feels like Hannah is not blessed by God because she does not have this, this um, blessing. Um, and she has made this an idol. And so Hannah's had a very difficult time. She's experiencing very an enemy in her own home and in her own family. And as we read through First Samuel, we looked at some of the examples of her husband and Hannah herself to look at things that we can either avoid or do so that we can be following the Lord in our family and we can lead our family to the Lord. And the first thing that we read about is how we need to be in the Word of God. If Hannah's husband had been reading God's word, had been studying the word, he wouldn't have gone the way of his culture and taken a second wife and sinned. He wouldn't have done that. He would have read the word. He would have trusted the word. And he would have followed it. And he would have avoided all of this pain and suffering in his family's life. And so if we want our families to follow God, the first thing we need to do is we need to read the word. We can all convince ourselves that we're just such loving, wonderful people, which her husband certainly did and thought of himself. However, without God's word, we don't know what direction our love is heading, and it might not be love at all. And so what we need to do to lead our families to the Lord is be in the word. The second thing we talked about is to lead our families to the Lord, we need to pray. All right, and Hannah prays for her family. But she doesn't just say a little prayer before dinner. She doesn't say a quick, quiet prayer before bed as her head hits the pillow. Hannah goes to the temple. She prays to the Lord, and she prays with such passion. She prays with such seriousness and desire that the priest comes out and looks at her, and he says, well, this lady must have been drinking. And Hannah's got such passion in her prayer, the priest mistakes her for being drunk. And she says, no, I've put away strong wine. What I'm doing is seeking the Lord. And through Hannah's passionate prayer, the Lord blesses her family. Through her faith, the Lord blesses her family and sets her family on a different direction towards him. As we're going to be reading about in this, these two chapters, one of the families we're going to be reading about is going towards the Lord, while the other one is going to pass them on the road going away. And I want my family to know the Lord. And so we talked about putting away alcohol to make sure that we're not substituting the good feelings of alcohol for the joy of the Holy Spirit and taking a time to seek the Lord in prayer and connect with his Holy Spirit. And that's what I've been doing. If you want to join me, we've been doing that for 30 days. 
And Hannah's not substituting alcohol for the Spirit. She's serious about finding the Lord. And one of the things, if you want to read Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 18, the interesting thing about prayer is it's not just telling about God what we want. It's about God revealing to us and seeing from us how bad we want it. And our prayers are to be passionate. Our prayers are to reveal our desire. God just doesn't want to know what we want. He wants to know how bad do you want this? And Hannah pours out her soul before the Lord. And if we want our families to follow the Lord, then we should be doing the same. And the last thing that we read about and we looked at is if we want our families to follow the Lord, we need to find fulfillment in, our fa- in, our, in the Lord. We're not to find fulfillment in anything else. In uh, Hannah's family, she's got a husband who thinks that she should find fulfillment in him. If you read chapter 1, verse Eight, he says, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? Right, why aren't you fulfilled with me? Hannah's got a husband who thinks that she should be fulfilled with him. She's got a, a rival and enemy in her own home who thinks that she should be fulfilled with having children. And since she doesn't have children, that she should find no fulfillment. Her culture has made children idle. There's all these different things that we can find fulfillment in. But no person should be burdened with that responsibility in our life. We should find fulfillment in the Lord. And Hannah prays to the Lord for his blessing. But she doesn't even let that fulfill her. She doesn't make that the idol. She prays to the Lord for a child. And then she takes the child that God gives her. And she gives it right back to him and says, Because you've blessed me with this, Lord, I'm going to set this child apart fully for your purposes. And she brings him to the temple. And he's going to become a priest to serve the Lord in the temple. And as I was reading about that and thinking about finding fulfillment, I thought so much of my prayers is about, Lord, bless me with what I want. Lord, give me another blessing. And I was reading this passage. I was thinking, you know, I've got so many blessings. I think what I need to do is to pray that I would honor the Lord with the blessings he's already given me to a greater extent. As God gives me these things, like what am I doing with them? If God gives me a blessing, am I willing to use that for whatever he wants me to do? And so we talked about finding fulfillment in him if we want our families to follow the Lord. God's blessings are wonderful, but the blessings should never be primarily what we seek. It should always be the Lord above all. And here Hannah has given us an incredible example to follow. And her situation is difficult, right? She, should, she could go either way. She has not received things that most other people have. Life has not been fair. Life has been hard. And she could have played the victim Hannah could have said, God, you haven't been good to me. Life hasn't been as easy as I wanted it to. That person's got it better. That person's got it better. Where are you? I quit. I'm the victim. But instead, Hannah presses on. She follows the Lord. She brings it to the Lord. She pours out her soul to the Lord. And instead of finding herself the victim, Hannah finds victory. And here we see Hannah's victory. And we're going to begin in chapter 2 as we read. And she celebrates that victory. Hannah chapter 2, verse 1, Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. And Hannah could have gone either way. Her family could have gone either way. Instead, because of Hannah's faith and because she has brought herself to the Lord, her family begins on this journey towards God. And Hannah celebrates her victory over her enemies. Hannah has an enemy in her own home who is standing against what God wants to do in her life. And as we want our families to follow the Lord, the first thing we're going to have to do is to overcome the enemies in our life 
which are keeping our family or coming against our family to try to stop what God wants to do in our life. And if you are someone here today who has his here and has an unsupportive spouse, maybe an unbelieving spouse, you know the difficulty it is as you try to guide your family towards God without that support. I grew up in that kind of situation. I know what it's like to have someone in your home standing against what God wants to do. Someone who's saying, no, don't go to church. No, you can't go to church camp. We won't pay for this. We won't do that. And there are people who will come against us. Hannah's experiencing in, in her own house. But there are enemies in her own home. There are enemies outside of her home. Maybe in our extended family, we stepped out in faith and mom and dad don't agree or, you know, whoever it is, people outside. We just finished our work as worship series. How many enemies do you have at work? And they're standing against what God wants to do in your life. And then you come home and you bring that at home and this person lives rent-free in your head and you're trying to lead your family, but you can't stop thinking about this other thing. And Satan is distracting you from where God wants to lead you because you got this thing going on. Like enemies can come in a variety of forms in a variety of places. I know when you have kids, there's all these things, these things that happen. Some of your kids might have a gift from God and all of a sudden the enemy starts bringing other kids into your kid's life who are going to try to destroy that gift. Right? Your child might be incredibly trusting and Satan starts bringing kids into that child's life who are going to deceive them and try to break that trusting nature. Or maybe your kid is just an excellent follower your kid's an excellent follower, and Satan starts bringing terrible leaders into your child's life so that he starts to distrust leadership and just starts to distrust other people and things like that. And so there's a variety of enemies that could come against us. And in Ephesians chapter 6, the Lord talks about our enemies. And Hannah's got one in her own home. However, the situation is much bigger than the people who are standing before us. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And that is what we're up against. And if that's our enemy, well, that's Hannah's enemy. If our enemy is ultimately spiritual, we need to deal with our enemy on a spiritual level. Hannah doesn't give us a ton of detail, but Hannah, nowhere in this passage, starts to attack her enemy, even though her enemy is in her own house. She doesn't go after her enemy. Instead, what she does is she goes towards the Lord. And the Bible has a lot to say about how we handle the enemies who come against us. If there's someone in your life, maybe even in your own home, standing against what God wants to do, how do you handle that? And the Bible gives us a lot of great advice. 1 Peter 3.9 reminds us, that we are children of God, and so when we have an enemy, we attack it in a godly way with love and with blessings. And this is not natural. If you're sitting there, if you're like me, right, somebody comes against you, and your first temptation is to do what? To hate them, right? How can they do this to me? Why won't they come together? Why can't we? And it's natural to feel that anger and frustration. However, the Holy Spirit of God in us is supernatural, and he's got a different plan. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. People who are living in the natural life, right, who have not died to their self or turned that part of their heart over to God, they fight their enemies in a natural way with curses. And they try to tear down. 
But we're to be people filled with the Holy Spirit who instead look to bless and build up. And why does Peter say that we do that? That you may obtain a blessing. I want a blessing in my life. And therefore, I don't curse. I don't go around trying to tear down. I want to build up. I want to pray for that enemy. Matthew chapter 5 if there's ever a moment in my life where I actually have legitimate love for my enemy, it is an absolute miracle of God through the Holy Spirit of God in me. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, how do we get this kind of love in our hearts? Well, we turn to the Lord. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Instead, love your enemies. And I can say that it's the times where I have gone to the Lord in prayer and started to pray for my enemies and started to pray for blessings on my enemies and gone around to other people and said, yes, can you help them or can you build and spoke positively and spoke blessings upon them. It's those situations where the Lord has blessed me with a supernatural blessing where I've been able to love my enemies. And I come in here and I pray every week on this altar a couple times a week for various things. And one of the things I have in my prayer list is my enemies. And that has been absolutely transformative to my life. I want to be seen as a son of my father who is in heaven. I don't want people to look at me and say otherwise. It's the times where I've followed God's plan and sought to bless and love my enemies that I don't regret. Every time I have not done that, that is the times I've regretted. Romans chapter 12 talks more about how we are to respond to those who come against us or to those who come against what God wants to do in our life. I think it's Romans 12, verse 17. And it says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. And if we want that blessing, as far as it depends on us, we are to live peaceably. Our attitude should be, how can I help this person? How can I seek their benefit? Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. When people come against us and sin against us, it doesn't mean that their sin isn't wrong. But people who believe in God don't take that vengeance into their own hands because we believe in a God who is bigger, who is better than it, at it than us, and we leave it up to him. And it's a sign of faith when we don't attack our enemies. God, I know you're bigger, I know you're better, and I know you can do it better than I. I'm going to leave this to you. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And if you are looking to guide your family to the Lord and you've got things coming against you, the way to do it is to not look to curse those people, but to bless them and bring those problems to the Lord and trust in him. Your enemy's bigger. Your enemy is spiritual. It's bigger than us anyway. We can't deal with the ultimate problem even if we wanted to. Only the Lord can. And I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to have faith because who knows what the Lord will do. 
Now, ultimately, it's up to other people to follow him or not. But I'm telling you, when we have faith, we open all sorts of doors in our life for God to move. God moves through faith. And I grew up in a family where there, where there was an enemy in the home. But when my father was 55, he gave his life to Christ. Year after year. What does it say about Hannah? Verse 7 of chapter 1. So it went on year by year. And life is difficult. But if you've got an enemy, don't be afraid. The number one repeated verse, I think, in the Bible, the number one repeated verse in the Bible is do not fear. It's not an empty advice, a cliche. It is the truth. If God is real, we have nothing to fear, and fear becomes irrational. And if you've got an enemy in your life, don't fear. So many times I've sat there and feared. Those are the things I regret. Those are the times I regret. Here Hannah brings it to the Lord year after year, and she receives deliverance. Psalms 23 says, you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. And here Hannah's celebrating. When you come to church, bring your cares, right? Bring what you need to the Lord. But don't forget to celebrate every single victory. And when you celebrate, you're doing it in the presence of your enemy, right? When you come here and celebrate, the Lord knows what you're doing, and your enemy does too. And here Hannah celebrates, celebrate in the face of Satan. Don't skip over those victories. As we come on Sunday, praise the Lord. This person tried to stop us, but now they're going to church with us. This guy came and he came against me. He did this, but look at where you've brought me, Lord. And we come, don't forget to praise. Don't forget to celebrate. And as we have our faith in him, we can have confident, confidence that God is with us. And even if he allows our enemy to triumph over us for a season, ultimately it will come to no avail. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 17 says, No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. As you see people coming against you, trying to stand in the way of what God wants to do in your life and your family, that's frightening, but you don't need to fear at all because you've got something way stronger with you. It's God. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. You shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication from me, declares the Lord. One of the things that I want to just touch on too is as we're having conflict in our families or with whoever who's trying, you know, it's always, we want to be humble, right? The gospel is all about repentance and reconciliation, and we might have thought that someone is our enemy when really, I mean, we need to be so humble that we have considered, well, what have I done to them? Right? Life is complicated. No one is without sin. And so we don't want to just make people and say, well, they're against me right now, so that must make them, well, what have I done? And examine our own hearts. That's why Romans says, is, as long as it is up to you, right? As we're having conflict, as we're trying to follow the Lord and people are coming against us, we want to make sure that we have addressed that in every way possible. And when we've done that, then we can be confident that we can be seen as sons of our Father in heaven. Then we can be confident that we have this type of blessing, that no weapon that is fashioned against us shall succeed. 
Genesis chapter 50, which we'll be reading in HCCU class. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, talks about God's amazing plan and ability to take what others want to use to bring us down and instead use it to lift us up. Joseph says in that verse 50, 20, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's how great our God is. As these things happen in our life, our God is not just silent. Our God is working through them. Other people might come against us and try to bring evil into our lives, but our God is so good. He sits there. He's not silent. He's not passive. What he's doing is he's involved in that, taking that plan of the enemy and using it for his ultimate good and glory. Verse 2 of 1 Samuel chapter 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And I don't know about you, but my first thought, every time I encounter something evil, I, where did you go, God? Where are you? Where have you gone? Because you experience this difficulty, and it's hard to reconcile how a good, loving God can be involved when things feel so evil. But God is so good. God is so powerful. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's involved. He stands at our side. He stands at our side when we submit ourselves to him. He stands at our side. He stands ready to fight. For the Lord God is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. God is standing there with you when you're going through these things, and he's got a plan for it. What they mean for evil, he means for good. And when his purposes are accomplished, he won't wait one second longer, and he will cut off the head of that enemy and give you victory. God is not slow or gone or abandoned us, but he is with us and he's waiting. You know why God allows this is because he wants us to grow more dependent on him. There's something God sees in us that needs to be hardened, transformed, changed, humbled by this experience, and he wants that to happen. This isn't going to be the first fight we've had in our lives. It's just going to be one thing after another after another. That's the world we live in. And God is more concerned than delivering us from our circumstances. He's more concerned with changing us and transforming us so that we can more effectively fight and win battles on his behalf in the future. I don't know if I said that completely correctly. But what God wants is for us to be trained and seasoned and depending on him and coming against evil in our lives. And so here, God knows, God knows what you're going through. Exodus 14, 14. Our God is a God who battles for us. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 4. says, for the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies, to give you the victory. Second Peter chapter 3. Actually, that one's for later. We'll do Second Peter later. But God is a God of victory, and he stands there ready to fight. One of my friends, a good friend of mine, came up with a quote. I've been trying to capture this very well for a long time, and he captured it so well. He said, what we have is not a precious moment's Jesus. 
Have you seen those cute little precious moments dolls? They're so cute. They're so sweet. And God is, God is loving. He's so pure. He's so beautiful. He's so wonderful. But he's not impotent, right? He's not, he's not passive. Our God is strong. And he stands to fight. And as we go through this, as you go through this, know that you're not alone. God is with you, fighting for us. And he wants to deliver you. That is his heart. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Look at what God has done in Hannah's life through this. The enemy has meant to bring her down, but she's come to the Lord, right? It's driven her to the Lord. How often do we think, God, why are you allowing this? For what other reason than to drive us in his arms? God loves us, and he wants our love in return. Hannah has given the Lord herself in return. She's poured her soul out before the Lord. She has found something greater than she could have ever found in a blessing. She has found a connection with God and his Holy Spirit. God wants to bless his people. That is his heart. And the greatest blessing that he can give us is a relationship with him and a connection with him. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread but those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The, Lord, the barren is born seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. This is Hannah's testimony, right? I was, I was once this way, but now look what the Lord has done for me. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down a sheol and raises up. Sheol is just another word for grave, something greater than the grave. You could say hell. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down a sheol and he raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust and he lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. And when I was younger, I was a bitter spoiled young man who wasn't getting what he wanted in life. And I looked around, I thought, look at what these other people have. They have direction in life. They've got a plan. They've got a purpose. They've got blessings, whatever. And what have I got? I have not. I'd read my Bible and I'd say, he raises up the poor from the dust. He hasn't raised me up. Look at all these other people he hasn't raised up. This verse isn't correct. The Bible's not true. And I would read verses like this and I would say, it's not true. And I'd use that. I'd take it out of context as an excuse to justify my not giving my full heart to the Lord or justify my rebellion against God, justify my anger, justify my sin, whatever it was. And we cannot take things out of context. When we're reading the Bible, we can't take a word out of the context of the sentence. When we're reading the Bible, we can't take a sentence out of the context of the paragraph. We can't take the paragraph out of the context of the story, nor the story out of the context of the book, nor the book out of the context of the Bible. I know, I know, it means we have to read the whole thing. I know, it's hard, it's so much of it. But even books of the Bible, you'll read the book of James, and he's coming at salvation from one way, right? James says, you want to say you got faith? I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith without works is dead. And Paul, on the other hand, in Romans, comes at it from a different way. He says, you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. But you take those things out of context. They can seem to be contradictory. And so we don't take things out of context. You can sit here and look at this. You can take it out of context. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash. You can take that out of context. And you, but that you, you can't do that. 
Because you have to understand the promises of the Bible. Look at the disciples. Look at the sacrifices they made. It's not a prosperity gospel. You read the word. And here in my life, Hannah's testimony, I would say, is mine. I was an angry, bitter person, so I rejected the Lord. And I got tired of that. And I, I decided to stop letting the things that I didn't have stop. Let, uh, I would decide I would stop letting the things I didn't have get in the way of the things that I knew God could do in my life. And I came in and I said, God, I don't want my life. I want your life. And I became drunk on the Holy Spirit. And I had a life-changing experience. And Jesus became my Lord. And I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then I found something greater than the things I was looking for anyway. I had the Lord. Nothing had changed in my life. I still didn't know what in the world I was going to do for a career. No girls still wanted to date me. I had no plans. There was nothing I had on the future. However, I had met the Lord. And I had something greater than any of those things. And I would sit there in my dorm room, my little junky, smelly dorm room, and I would sit there and I would praise the Lord and I would enjoy His Holy Spirit because I had something better than anything that I'd ever asked for anyway. And then God is so good, He blessed me like Hannah did. And my story that God is a God of abundance. He blessed me with more than I could have ever imagined or asked for. And our God is a God of abundance. He wants to bless his people. He wants to bless you. You might feel that God is abandoning you or leaving you behind, but he's not. He's with you. And he's got a plan for your blessing. And if you're waiting on answered prayer, I want to encourage you with Hannah's testimony. I want to encourage you with my testimony. Don't give up. If we judge God... Before he judges us, we've judged too soon. If we judge God before he judges us, we've judged too soon. He will break the bows of the mighty. He will move in our life. And instead of becoming bitter, I would encourage you to follow this example of Hannah and become drunk on the Holy Spirit of God. In verse 9, he says, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and, the, and exalt the horn of his anointed. And then Elkanah went home to Ramah. That's Hannah's husband. That's Hannah's child's father. And his son, the boy, Samuel, the blessing, the answer to the prayer, was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli the priest because they've left Samuel behind. They've brought him to the temple. Hannah has prayed this incredible prayer of salvation, deliverance, and praise. And she has left the blessing that God has given her in the hands of the Lord. And Hannah's on the right path. Her family is headed in. Being in the church doesn't make you a Christian, just like being in a car doesn't make you in a garage. However, Hannah's heart is towards the Lord. We're going to read in a moment of some people who are in church, whose hearts are far, far from him. However, Hannah's hearts and the hearts of their family, they're headed in to the presence of the Lord. 
And what makes this story so incredible and so emotional and so intense is because while Hannah's going in, there's going to be another man who's bringing his kids out. While Hannah's bringing her son in to Eli the priest, who I love this character in the Bible. I love Eli. But he's going to be bringing his kids out. And I want you to ask, what direction am I leading? And what direction am I heading? I thought this would be an appropriate moment to invite you to a membership class. All right? Now, when I became a pastor, first became a pastor, I thought, oh, membership is just a piece of paper, right? It's just, it's just formalities and things like that. If you, a church is a group of people who love each other and love God. And if that's you, then we want to be able to reflect that on paper. We'll never be able to reflect the church perfectly on paper. But membership is an important thing. I've learned as a pastor, as I've gone for 10 years, membership is very important. It kind of reminds me a little bit of baptism, right? We're not saved by being baptized, and we're not actually a member of the real church by becoming a member of this church. However, just like it's important to be baptized and put our bodies through those motions, because when, what we do with our body will change our spirit. That's why it tells us when we pray to kneel, because when we change our body to kneel, it humbles or can serve to humble our spirits. And as we go through baptism and things like that, it does, as we put our bodies through those motions, it does have the um, effect or can have the effect of changing the position of our spirits, and membership can do that as well. Last year, I think we had 11 new members. And I remember that membership class. I remember them. It was so much fun. It was uh, like Kenny and Mary and Charles and Phyllis and the Finks. And uh, I'm going to forget a bunch of people. I think it was Harry and Carolyn. And we just had this incredible time in this membership class. And you just feel and see what God was doing through membership. And so membership is not just a formality. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. And if you are committed to this church, if you're committed to the Lord, if you're committed to his word, if you love the people around you and love the Lord, you are in the church, and we'd love to be able to express that on paper and have you publicly go through that uh, way to proclaim that you're on this team to serve the Lord. And so we're going to be having a membership class. If you'd like to join, you can fill out the card and you can put it in the um, giving boxes in the back after the service. Just put your name and email. I would love to have you as a member. The main thing that changes as a member is that you will begin to be able to vote on matters of the church. And that is important. That's very important. The Holy Spirit of God is working in you and we want you to Bring that Holy Spirit with you and help us lead and guide our church as we decide on elders, as we decide on important matters like our budget and things like that. And so if you want to become a member, I would love to have you put a card and put it in the box and we will have another membership class this fall. And Hannah could have been headed out, right? She could have been headed out. I'm a victim. God has forgotten me. But instead, Hannah has turned to the Lord and she's headed in. And surprisingly enough, it's Eli the priest who's heading out. Eli the priest, frightening stuff for a pastor, a frightening passage. Verse 12, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. 
the custom of the priests with the people. And we're going to skip these verses a little bit, but what was happening is that Eli's sons are, are officiating in the temple, right? They're, they're pastors, they're priests, and people come with the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, people were saved the same way people are in the New Testament, through faith in the Messiah. In the Old Testament, their faith looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. In our experience, our faith looks backward to the moment that he came. And so to train the people and to begin teaching them about the Messiah, God gives them the sacrificial system. When you sin, you bring an animal to the temple. You kill it, you make a sacrifice because you've got a debt that you owe God because of your sin. And so they bring the animal, they bring the temple to remind them that sin is serious. The punishment for sin is death. It requires a sacrifice. And the priest would take some of that and as a visual way to experience it, that this was a sacrifice, that you owe something to God, they would burn a part of that, that animal on the altar. In fact, they'd burn the best part of that animal. And you would stand there and you'd watch your sacrifice being burned to the Lord. You'd think of what you owed the Lord because of your sin. And you'd think about how the Messiah, how God himself would take this sin from you and pay this price. And so here the priests, what they were doing, Eli's sons, what they were doing, one of the things that they were doing was they were not giving the part that was to go to the Lord to him, but they were keeping it for themselves. Here, God had told them to do one thing, and they're sitting there in church, in the temple, but they're saying, no, you've told me to do this, Lord, but I've got a part of my heart I'm not giving to you. You've told me to do this, but I'm doing that. The custom of the priests with the people. And so down to verse 17, thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe. Oh, isn't that cute? Every year, a little robe, and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. And then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, may the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord so that they would return to their home. And indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord. If you turn to Matthew chapter 6, 33. Jesus tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. When you want the blessings of the Lord, the best thing to do is honestly to repent of making those things an idol and to seek God first. If what you actually want are God's blessings, repent of that and instead seek him in his presence first. When we seek the kingdom of God and we give our hearts and our lives fully over to him, we'll receive the greatest blessing and then we'll receive these other blessings from the Lord. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says a similar thing. Here Hannah has prayed to the Lord. She had no children. She prayed to the Lord. God blessed her with a child and she gave it back to him. And in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, Jesus says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children with lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And if we want to find God's blessings, the first sacrifice that we need to make is ourselves. God, I give my life to you. I don't want my life. 
I want your life. And here Hannah has done that. She's gone through the incredible difficult thing of sacrificing her life to the Lord. She's had to give him a child. And in return, she's gotten all of these other things. And the Lord works in so many ways. I knew a woman, it was just so painful. She wanted children so bad. And she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And she had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage. And you look at that and you think, how is that true? How is that true? And when we sacrifice ourselves and we give our lives to the Lord, he answers our prayer in a variety of ways. And what's important is that we're following him and his will for our life. This woman became a teacher. And she has taught hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of children. She's helped to raise more children than any mother ever could. And it's not easy. Following the Lord isn't easy. The blessings of the Lord don't always look exactly like what we want. But when we sacrifice our lives and give ourselves to him, he will give us the blessings and they will be more than enough for us. And here Hannah has received more than enough. And back to Eli and his family. Now Eli was very old. And he kept hearing that all that his sons were doing to all Israel, how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. No, my sons, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? What he's talking about is the same thing as you hear about as the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament being the unforgivable sin, right? If God comes to you and you say no, well, then what's left? There is, all sins are forgivable. But when God comes to you and says, follow me, and you say no, then Eli's saying, what can I do? What's left? What can fix this? And if we want our sins forgiven, what we do is we say yes to Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, I give you my life. I've heard you call, and I want you in return. Here Eli's sons have heard that, and they have said, no, you've wanted me to do this, Lord. You've wanted me to do that, but I'm going to do my own thing. And Eli says, what, what, what's left? He's, he's Listen to him. Reason with his sons. The logic is, is, is undeniable. Sons, listen. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. Now, again, your people can take this verse out of context. Well, God wanted them to die. No, he didn't. As you look at the rest of the scriptures, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11. We have the heart of God over and over in the scripture. Ezekiel 33, 11. Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn back from his way and live. That's what I want. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die? Right? That's God's heart. 2 Peter 3, 9, same thing. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some would count slowness. But he's patient so that none may perish, but all may find repentance. That's God's heart. God doesn't want, there's Christians who believe that God creates people intending for them to go to hell. And they take stuff like this out of context. We can't take it out of context. God doesn't want to to put them to death. However, when people reject the Lord, judgment will come. And that's what's happening in this verse. If people reject him, if, if God says, I love you, come to me, and they say no, well then then it is God's will for them to be judged and the punishment is death. 
As the same time Hannah's going into the temple, Eli is going to be bringing his family out of the temple. In chapter 3, verse 13, which you're going to read more about next week, it says, I declare to him that I'm about to punish his house forever. God is saying this about Eli. I declare to him that I, God, am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming God and he did not restrain them. Now this is a challenging verse. If we want our families to follow God, the first thing that we got to do is we got to go to war for our families in the way that God tells us to. We've got to overcome and seek victory over our enemies in the ways that God tells us to as we read this passage. And the next thing we do is that as parents or as authority figures in our home, that we do have a responsibility. Our kids and our whoever else that is under our authority, they might choose whatever they choose. I want to release you of the results of the choices of others. You're not responsible for those choices. God will not hold you responsible for that choice. He's going to be bringing Eli, he's going to be bringing his sons out of the temple. And primarily it's not his fault. It's his kids' fault for not listening to his voice. But this is such a challenging verse because parents, it says that we can't just sit there and talk. Now, the context of this is, again, Eli in the temple, his children rejecting the Lord. As we want to lead our families to God, it cannot be enough to just use our voices. Now, when you have little kids in the Bible, this is very clear. It says, spare the rod, spoil the child. There's great guidance here in the scriptures. I tell my kids, I say, I've told you to do this, I've told you to do this, I've told you to do this, and if my voice means nothing, if my words mean nothing, then I have to use something else. Ephesians 6, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. There's a balance here, right? Our discipline needs to be loving. It needs to be right, but it needs to be there. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger as you're looking at using your voice. Don't use your voice in a way that provokes your children to anger. As you're looking at discipline, don't use your discipline and, and things beyond your voice in a way that provokes your children to anger. But... Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says that the Lord disciplines those he loves and he chastens all those who he considers a son. Discipline is loving. And here we have a situation where Eli knows about it and he tells them the right thing to do. But God still says, you're responsible because you didn't do enough. And the context of this is, again, of adult children, which makes it even more complicated. Some of you have shared with me that your adult children are not following the Lord. And I pray for them, too, when I come in. I've got them in a list. And I pray before the altar for them, too. And you read this passage. And if you're a parent of one of those kids, you're saying, I know! What do I do? I know it's not enough. What do I do? Here the Bible says for Eli to restrain them. The Bible does, you know, the manual gets us so far, doesn't it? It gives us some of these principles, some of these godly things, and the Holy Spirit's got to lead us the rest of the way. But as parents know that you have the God-given responsibility to do more than just talk. We're to be fighting for our children. 
Sometimes we're to be fighting our children to follow the Lord. What is every parent's greatest fear? Well, they'll never talk with me again. If you're a person of faith, you understand what is something to be feared far greater, that you'll never, ever see them again. It is not our responsibility that our children make the right choice. As we look to lead our families to the Lord, it's not a responsibility that they go that way. It is our responsibility to lead that way. And parents, if what you've been using is your words and it hasn't been working, then today as we read his word, you have freedom in the Lord to go and do more. And what does that look like? I wish I knew. The Holy Spirit is going to have to lead you the rest of the way. Whatever it needs to do, it needs to be done in his time and in his will and in his way. And I can't give you that, but God can. The Lord can do that. Maybe the enemy in your home has been fighting you year after year and you've been using your voice. The Lord wants you to do more and seek him for that answer. I know that that's what I want for my kids. I look at some of the families in this church, how generation after generation after generation, they have a family history of following the Lord. I want that for my kids. No matter what my family does, I want to make sure that I stand before the Lord and I don't slack off in my responsibilities, that I've done everything that I can do, everything he's called me to do. And the manual gets us so far. And the Holy Spirit of God has to lead us the rest of the way. And the Holy Spirit, as you put your faith and trust in him, and as you seek him, and you don't give up, and you passionately pour yourself out to him and become drunk on the Holy Spirit of God, he will lead you to those things. And during this next song, I'm going to invite you to come forward and give you an opportunity to pray like Hannah prayed for her family. We're not going to have the prayer team up here. It's just going to be an opportunity for you to come to the Lord. If you have got something in your family, an enemy that needs to be overcome, I invite you to fight the battle the way God invites us to fight these battles and bring it to the Lord and pour your spirit out before him and seek him for that direction. Let's pray.